it's felt like a kind of, oh, this sounds strange, but a kind of voluntary madness. It's like everyone took the pill and went a bit mad in a really f- kind of collective way. It's undoubtedly Mansfield's biggest crime-related story, I would say, for, well, since, since whenever. And there's a gush of shock, of relief, you know, from the, the people that were sitting in the, uh, the public gallery. And I, I guess from there, there was an element of... It kind of went away for, for quite a long time. It was, it was done and dusted. The final ingredient of a can't-get-you-out-of-my-head true crime story is the way it sticks with you long after the case is over. It changes how you see the world and lingers in your consciousness many years after you heard about it for the first time. Landscapers is just such a story. Both the real-life facts of Susan and Christopher Edwards' case and the show about them that we've watched play out on screen have this quality. Weeks, months, even years later, we'll still be wondering about what really happened and why. The creative team behind the show worked hard to translate what is compelling about the original case into just such an experience for the viewer. And as they were doing so, they found the process just as absorbing as the story itself. They can't get it out of their heads either. Welcome back to the Landscapers podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Crampton, and in this final episode of our series, we're going to zoom out to take a broader look at landscapers. We're going to revisit people we've met throughout the series, but we're also going to introduce one new person who had a pivotal role in the making of landscapers, producer Katie Carpenter. It's basically all the jobs in between. Like, your job is basically to be a kind of creative midwife and be by the side and facilitate the extraordinary work of all the creative people involved in the show. Katie was already aware of the story of Susan and Christopher Edwards when the project first came to her. I think I'd heard about it in the way that you like read a news article on the train and then sort of forget about it so like I had like an echo of it somewhere in my head. Even at this very early stage creator and co-writer Ed Sinclair wasn't short of material. In my memory he had written it all as like an in an Excel spreadsheet. It was like a huge Excel spreadsheet document of like different ideas and like different columns. It was just this humongous document. But I also feel like as well as a spreadsheet, it was like an also like 100 page kind of Word document as well. I have to admit, I was initially daunted, but then as I got into it, it was just this kind of incredible story. It's funny because at now at the kind of end of the production process, as I look back at it, The entire production has in some sense been like that first experience of encountering the idea in the sense that on paper it's a very simple thing and then as you get into it at every single turn it has proved to be a more complex thing and that's really been the kind of the joy and the fun of of working on it. Ed and director and co-writer Will Sharp had a big job on their hands. 
how the hell do you tie all these different opinions, all these different moments in time, all of these different characters into something that feels like a whole? There's, you know, a very delicate balance of opinion that had to be achieved, but also because the vision that Will brought to the show was one that he really discovered through the material. There was a, a real period of kind of just going with the flow with it and, and kind of just trusting that the process would arrive at something that, that felt right. The context of a production matters. Landscapers was happening at an extraordinary time for the television industry, with COVID simultaneously making production more challenging while the demand for high-quality content from viewers was higher than ever. It genuinely felt like a show that was driven by a huge amount of love. It, it, it started, started happening in a time when people hadn't worked for, for a long period, where people were in a more fragile and, I think, more open state of mind. And so when people came onto the project, I think they were attracted by that kind of love that Ed had put all the way through the script. But they, I don't know, you can't, you kind of can't predict these things, but somehow there was like an alchemy in the people that came to the project and they came to the project for the right reasons. I think it's something that was really, truly creative with all of the madness and the challenges and the fun and the struggle that that like proper creativity allows it's been really fun basically i don't know what it is when you put like more than two actors in a room together there's something weird that happens where not everyone just turns into a kid that's dipo ola who plays susan solicitor douglas in the show he wasn't the only one to struggle with keeping a straight face while they were shooting, as Kato Flynn, who plays DCI Emma Lansing, explains. Usually I play characters where I can kind of intertwine. Is it me laughing? Is it the character you do? It's kind of blurred. But obviously Emma is so dry that I can't break into a massive grin. It was day two and it was in something with Olivia. I started manically laughing and that just went on and on through the whole thing, I ended up just being that person that was just laughing at nothing and everyone was like, what is going on? There was one scene in particular that set everybody off. There is a moment in the interview scene we had to get a shot. Basically, Olivia is saying something, snow falls down. Like, we had real snow come onto the interview room. And the first time we did it, Myself and um, Sam, who plays Wilkie, just got covered in this snow and, you know, we're like, this is an expensive shot, don't laugh. And, of course, we found it absolutely hysterical. It only snowed on, like, Kate, spe specifically only Kate. And, like, it's on all four of us, so we're just watching this. And me and Olivia have got, like, two specks of snow here and there. Sam's got a little bit, but Kate is literally covered. Because, obviously, it's a really beautiful shot because they've got, like, the projection as well. So everybody's kind of like frozen while she's just getting covered in all this snow. And Olivia's like, just don't look at me, Kate. She's starting to talk and I'm looking at her and then I just look down and that's, that's on screen. <laughs> that's when I'm thinking, I'm looking down so I don't laugh and I don't burr off. But that's on screen, me just looking completely. Yeah, laughing was just a real problem on this for me. 
it was painful trying not to laugh at that. And and it doesn't sound completely oppressive, but I think when it, when something like that happens and it's only affecting one person, and you know that you're kind of on camera, but not really on camera, but they were really on camera. The script for Landscapers moves around a lot in time, with scenes in the 1980s, the 1990s and the present day, as well as showing different events from the police's perspective and Susan and Chris's. And then, of course, there were the fantasy sequences that drew on Susan's love of cinema. It required a lot of teamwork to balance all this, cinematographer Eric Wilson says. I think it's so important to do tests before you start shooting and everyone can see what everyone else are doing. You know, when you're, when you're with, a, with a designer, uh, when you're with, with a costume, when you're with makeup, and that way you can all go, oh yeah, how about this? How about this? And for everyone to allow this to happen rather than try to, you know, one department to have complete control and say, no, none of this is going to be allowed. With such a collaborative atmosphere on set, some of the most poignant and impactful moments of the show emerge from these in-the-moment decisions. Here's producer Katie again. Our hair and makeup designer, Judy, had all these wigs made, basically, for Olivia and David in the Wild West. And Will suddenly had the idea of David taking off his wig at, at some point in, in the Western and Julie kind of came up with this way that David kind of could kind of walk along and then suddenly just like re remove it. We did it as a sort of playful thing, try it out. And actually it's ended up being like a major moment in the episode that to me as a shot summarises kind of everything the show is saying. When watching the final series, the viewer experiences a style and an atmosphere. But each little element has to be carefully thought through, Eric says. We did think about using some painted backdrops like they did in the old westerns. And for one scene when they're going for their date and they're on, on their date eating ice cream in the park in the snow, as you do, we did go to a real park to shoot some of them, but they're close-ups. Uh, there wasn't really a good angle for that, so we brought in a, a backdrop, which looked fine, but by chance... We looked at it from the reverse angle, as in not the way it's supposed to be, and we backlit it. And that looked really kind of weird and magical. So that's what's in the background of Chris and Susan. And that, that added to everything else. It was like, oh, yeah, this feels like our world. It's something that's not right, but it fits and it makes it slightly theatrical. During the period that Landscapers was in production in the UK, there were varying levels of restrictions on working together in person that the team had to contend with to make sure that everything was happening safely. The hardest thing was to meet anyone because it was all COVID, so it was a lot of Zoom and that kind of stuff. And finally, the best way we found was to just stand in a car park two metres apart, you know, on the side of the you know, M40 in a lay-by. That was kind of, that was the best, that was the kind of the best meetings we had. I remember having these mad meetings back at the beginning of the process where we were in this giant wedding marquee, which is where we ended up doing all of our keeping of our costumes. And we'd set out all of these tables at a two metre distance. We were all wearing masks. There was this huge like ventilating fan to keep the air going. I just remember people shouting out things like, 
read the myth and like holding up these like boards with all her design pictures on it and everyone's sort of like straining over their table to try and see it and it was honestly madness and the fact that actually something has come out of it that I do think feels or has some semblance of cohesion is frankly remarkable. Despite or perhaps because of all of these hurdles that they had to overcome to work together effectively Making this show is something that everybody we spoke to remembers really fondly. I'll let Dippo sum it up. Everybody really bought into the spirit of it and it was just so exciting and fun. I think the fact that we didn't really have any delays in production and stuff like that was a blessing and we really just got to enjoy time with each other and creating something that we think is special. Throughout this podcast, we've been tracking the delicate interplay and even tension between the real-life case, the victims and their families, and the story of the TV show. If there's one thing about this production that has stuck with me, it's how carefully this was all balanced by the team. What you see in Landscapers is their story, and it is just a story. But it's one that is closely and compassionately informed by the real events. It was the very different perspectives that everyone had on the case. So when I went up to Nottingham and I met with Rob Griffin and I met with this wonderful woman called Gillian Clark who works at the court, you know, and Gillian was describing seeing them in the court and she was saying, you know, they look they look like kind of rats. They look they look they were so cold, they were so calculating. It almost felt like being like, hang on a minute. <laughs> stop that's not true and I had to catch myself because I was thinking that's not true based on what Katie based on the time you've spent with some scripts I was really grateful that that had happened to me before we'd gone into the production because I think it it, for all of us involved in the production it it became a real touchstone of you know never let this be one-sided always facilitate the the different facets of opinion, because ultimately that is where the story exists. During the making of this podcast, we've spoken to some of the people who were involved with and affected by the real-life events. But the case impacted many more people, not least those who live in Mansfield. And it's important not to forget about this ripple effect. We'll begin by getting a sense from Andy, the journalist who broke the story, and Rob, the policeman who led the investigation, about how the case initially affected the local community. I think it was absolutely almost culture-changing at the time. I think there was an element of guilt almost from the local community that uh, they'd not noticed that this couple had gone, even. A guy who lived at the, the house that faced the bottom of their garden recollects coming out early one morning and seeing Christopher Edwards digging a huge hole literally outside the patio doors and joked to his wife, I think he's burying them now. You know, and 15 years later, you know, you know, if, if, if he'd actually, you know, acted and reported that as something suspicious, then, you know, the whole thing could have been resolved a lot earlier. What came across fairly kind of consistently was, was a feeling of shock. They did wonder where the Witchleys had gone, but I think if they'd drawn up a list of explanations for where they'd gone, the very last, well, well, they'd been shot and killed and buried in the garden, it would not have even made its way onto the list because it's just so unthinkable. Another thing we should bear in mind is that this crime happened a long time ago. 
For those who remember the events, it's something that will never leave them. Landscapers is, arguably, a product of how the case has stayed in the public consciousness. A couple of weeks after the court case finished, I went to the funerals. And then I, I kind of walked away from that thinking, well, you know, that's, that's that then. It's time to, time to move on to something else. And I guess for maybe a few months, you know, it was gone. And then, you know, it, for me, for a while, it, uh, it kind of plodded. As a, as a journalist, you know, there's probably one story in a career that just stays with you. I've been around the block, you know, I, yeah, I've done my fair share of, you know, big stuff. But this one just fascinates me, you know, beyond, beyond fascinates me. It almost became a uh, obsession, I think. We always undertake what's called a community impact assessment, which is where our neighbourhood policing teams who are properly embedded in communities and engage with communities. They always go out and talk to, you know, key people and residents of areas and local councillors and so on, you know, those that represent the people. They feel that it's brought something of, of an attraction to the area in a, in a weird sort of way because because this is a case that just seems to keep being talked about. And every time it's talked about, every time it appears in the newspaper, magazine, on the television, you know, this is, as people would say, this is their Mansfield. Under the spotlight is, I think, how some people would view it. People still talk about this, you know, weird, horrific case from, you know, almost, you know, not, not far off a year, a decade ago now. They almost see it as a kind of infringement on them because, you know, it, it happened you know, on, on their turf by two people that weren't local. William Witchley was initially, you know, a, a Mansfield resident. He was, you know, born and brought up well, uh, literally just over the border in Derbyshire, but it's all kind of, you know, part of the same demographic. I think the best way of describing the, uh, the impact of it is the interest in the town about the forthcoming drama to see, you know, Mansfield on the map through this case now. I think, you know, shooting was relatively, uh, relatively brief, but, you know, there's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, key, key landmarks in the town are going to be used. I think, you know, people are really excited about that, but it's still something people talk about. I mean, people are massively invested. Rob feels entirely relaxed about its portrayal in the media and in landscapers. I don't think I've ever really been concerned about the way that the story's been told, no matter what the forum, really. And I think the reason that people have been able to tell it in a fairly accurate way is because it's been reported so widely. It was a case where the defendant spoke so freely and the evidence always speaks freely. And so all of that is public record. I think it's difficult, therefore, for people to, to get their facts wrong in a case like this. It, it's be, it's become a story unto itself. It's one of those cases that has kind of stayed in the media. It's an interesting case for investigators. It's an interesting case for the public. Why? Because it's a fascinating, but but most of all, really tragic story. For Ed Sinclair, creator and co-writer of Landscapers, making the show has in part been a mode of self-expression. Personally, it's been just a huge privilege to be allowed to put a little bit of, I suppose, my worldview out there somewhere, which is, I think, what what you want any kind of good piece of 
storytelling to be. I'm not saying that this is good, but I, you know, I, I hope it's uh, people enjoy it, and it does feel like that there's been an incredible privilege to have been able to do that. I think that Ed had what you always hope a writer has, which is a really, really clear sense of how he wants to tell the story and what he wants that story to say. And he also had an openness, which again is something that you always hope for in a writer. He has such a kind of boldness in his vision, you know, there's a real playfulness, there's a kind of surrealness in the way he tells a story. And that comes from a place of not cynicism with the story, but with empathy for those that are involved in the story. And I think it, he was always the kind of compass, if you like. It always came back to two people that that were complicated. And that that meant that the storytelling has a real kind of muscularity to it. That's producer Katie again. As we've been reflecting with the team on the production, it's been fascinating to hear what they've taken away from the extraordinary story of Susan and Christopher Edwards. Eric, the cinematographer, was especially drawn to this central couple. I find that the crime, kind of true crime angle, is a really, you know, enticing way of getting you into this story, because who doesn't love true crime? I love it. It's exciting because these are things you'll never do in your life. You won't consider doing in your life. So it's a, a good way of kind of, you know, scratching an itch that you can't in a different way. But through this, you get into this, you know, this more universal story of, of love and relationship and what kind of commitment you have to the other person. I don't know where you, where you draw the line or what you'll do. To idolize Chris and Susan by retelling the story straight. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be right to the people murdered. It feels um, yeah unethical to side with them that much to just say, hey, isn't this a fun story? Hey, these guys are crazy. Let's tell their story. That seems crude and harsh. I really think that the in order to make it a to slightly romanticize their journey in in terms of the visual and also looking at the human aspect um, of their their love story that um, that's the purpose of it that's the only way you can justify making this series director and co-writer will sharp hopes that the show strikes the right balance between fact and fiction Hopefully, we've taken you on an entertaining journey, but we've also been respectful of the reality of murder, which is that ultimately, as thrilling or as enticing as some of the details of it may be for an audience, it's a tragedy. Like, murder is a, is a, tra it's a tragic event. In the end, that felt like the sort of truest thing to learn from it from my point of view. After working on this show for years, and acknowledging that it can be dark in places, Ed hopes that the viewer will find something positive to take away from it. I think I'd like them to leave with a sense of the power of love, I guess, to help people find a place in the world. And, and the reason I think that could sound horrible is, of course, in this instance, you could argue that love has, meant, has led to 
two people being murdered, I think, yeah, I like to think that's not necessarily love that led to that. I think that was a, a, a slightly strange sense of duty and propriety that we've touched on talking about Chris and Susan and their fantasy life. But I think Susan has, to a certain extent, been saved from a very difficult start in life by love. That is a positive to take out of this story, I think. Meanwhile, Daryl, who is still Susan and Chris's solicitor, is a little more anxious about the show's reception. Um, honestly, my main feeling is a bit of apprehension. I hope that it comes across well. I hope that it sounds like a cliche, but I have to say this because that's my job. I hope that it doesn't reflect, reflect badly on Susan and Chris, my clients. So that's my first thought. Via Daryl, we're also able to get a sense of how the real-life Susan and Chris feel about their fictional portrayal in Landscapers. I've shown Chris the trailer. I haven't had a chance to show Susan it, but his opinion has always been that anything that is made about them, he wants it in a balanced way. He doesn't want it to be too prosecution-minded or too defence-empathetic. His first um, comments were, oh, they, they, they've, they've done a very good job in, in, in our likenesses. Um, he, he commented on um, Olivia's highlights and saying that they were quite accurate to Susan's, and he said that um, David l- looked, looked like him, apart from the fact that he had a little bit more hair. <laughs> he said it, 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 the trailer seemed to obviously show that it had a dark and uh, uh, kind of effect on the neighbourhood and the community, but he did say it seems to portray us as human beings. As for Susan... I know that she's quite impressed that it's someone quite as well-known as, as Olivia Coleman and Oscar winner is playing her. I think she's quite... I don't know if excited is the right word. She doesn't... She's not the kind of person to get excited, I would say. I think she's probably apprehensive as to how it will be received. But it has to be said that there isn't anyone that she'd be in fear of seeing it. And, and my main my concern at the moment is get, getting them to see it because they won't have access to that, that network in prison. So I'm, I'm making arrangements to try and get the DVDs to her once they're re- released. She's excited. She's been engaged with it. She wants it to be portrayed fairly. You know, She knows that something has gone wrong uh, and, and they'll accept themselves that, um, uh, albeit what their defence was, things went wrong in that situation. Something's gone horribly wrong, hasn't it? And, and they're not without, without faults. Believe their story or don't believe their story. They, they've done things that were, were criminal in that, in that sense. They can see that it's a lot. It's not your average retelling of a, a murder case. There's something more to it. it it's it's given, been given a lot more care um, than you would usually get, and a lot more kind of creative creativity. Here's producer Katie Carpenter to sum it all up. I anticipate it'll probably be quite marmite. I hope that people receive it in the same way that I experienced making it which is like this kind of wild ride sometimes people are wearing cowboy hats sometimes people are riding on a robotic horse and that's really fun but there's this kind of love and generosity um, and openness there I do hope that people will watch it and be challenged by it like I think fundamentally this show is asking really useful questions about 
truth and fantasy and that's quite helpful I think at this point in time (laughs) You can watch Landscapers on HBO and HBO Max in the US and on Sky Atlantic and Now TV in the UK. The Landscapers podcast is produced by HBO, Sky and Campside Media. This episode was written by me, Caroline Crampton, with Joe Barrett. The producer is Joe Barrett. Our executive producer is Josh Dean. Our script editor is Natalia Winkleman. Sound design is by Joe Barrett with Rod Sherwood, who engineered the episode. Music is by Arthur Sharp, from the score to Landscapers. Special thanks to Chris Fry and Katie Carpenter at Sister. <laughs>